Good morning, this is Bishop Phoebe Rowe of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee, and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Each Thursday morning, we broadcast live on WYXR 91.7 FM from Crosstown Concourse here in Memphis, Tennessee, and we have the opportunity to talk with a guest about the role of faith in their life and their work and ministry in the community and beyond. So we start every episode of Faithfully Memphis with a saint of the day. And because today is November the 2nd, um, Christians who observe a liturgical calendar had a major uh, celebration or commemoration yesterday, which is, excuse me, the weather is changing in Memphis. (laughs) And I think that's got my, my, um, my head a little bit congested. Anyway, yesterday, November the 1st, was the commemoration of All Saints. Um, and so All Saints is really a day where we explicitly remember all of those um, whom we know and love and remember who have died and gone on uh, to be with the Lord and sort of understand that there is still a connection uh, that as Christians once our mortal bodies have died, our soul, our spirit, our essence is eternal. And um, it's just a wonderful opportunity to give thanks for the people in particular who may have supported us in our faith journey. So this is a pretty old commemoration. Um, Some people think that It originated in Ireland and spread from there throughout Europe. Uh, We know for sure that um, in the ninth century, the Pope acknowledged the celebration of All Saints in Rome. But there are also writings that indicate that this celebration is far older than that. Um, We have some writings before the year 270, that refers to an observance of a festival of martyrs. And um, one of the patriarchs of the church, uh, John Christostom, who died in the year 407, acknowledged that a festival of all saints was observed on the first Sunday after Pentecost in Constantinople, which is current-day Istanbul, uh, when he was serving as bishop. So for many, many years, human beings have acknowledged um, the importance of life and have given thanks for those who have gone before. And I would dare say that indigenous cultures and other religions, even before Christianity acknowledged a connection to the ancestors. Uh, So we are aware of the fact that we stand on some pretty big shoulders. Um, And sometimes that, excuse me, gives me a sense of comfort to know that, you know, 
I'm just running a particular leg of the race and I don't have to have everything figured out and other folks before me have prayed and worked and served and other folks after me are going to pray and work and serve. And so we're going to play a hymn of the church in acknowledgement of all of those folks who have gone on to greater glory. Support for WYXR comes from New Ballet Ensemble and School. Nut Remix is back at the Cannon Center, November 17th, 18th, and 19th. A modern reinvention of Tchaikovsky's classic Nutcracker, set on Bill Street with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra and Jokin dancer Lil Buck. More information at newballet.org. And we are back on Faithfully Memphis. Um, not only remembering saints of past eras, but I, you know, one of the great things about this show is that it really gives us a chance to talk with folks who are sort of living their ministry in, right now here in our midst. And so this morning, we are very pleased to have with us the Reverend Trina Morrison, the Executive Director of Hannah's Hope, which is an adoption and pregnancy counseling organization that serves both um, adoptive parents seeking to uh, open their homes and their hearts for a child, as well as pregnant women who are in crisis. Uh, Trina is an ordained elder of the United Methodist Church, and she has been the executive director of Hannah's Hope since 2006. She did her undergraduate studies at Lambeth University in Jackson, Tennessee, and got her MDiv from the Candler School of Theology at Emory University and has served um, different appointments throughout parts of West Tennessee. And so Trina, good morning and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. Good morning, (coughs) thank you for having me. So we normally start uh, the show by asking our guests about the role of faith in their lives as they were growing up. Can you share a little bit about your experience? Faith was central to our family life when I was growing up. 
Um, in Middle Tennessee, we were members of a small United Methodist Church on a three-point charge just outside of Murfreesboro. So we drove out in the country to go to church. My mom was the treasurer for well, she's recently retired after over 50 years in that role wow. and the church pianist. And my dad was the song leader and the chair of the administrative board. We were there Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday night for choir. Um, our family, um, extended family worshiped there also. And it truly was the the center of our you know, social and, and family life. Wow. So maybe then it wasn't a surprise that you ended up becoming ordained in the United Methodist tradition. In hindsight, perhaps, but I had never seen a woman in ministry. Mm, yeah. Um, during my childhood and um, first thought that I would um do perhaps church music mm -hmm. or, or teaching. And that's what my undergraduate work was in. And um, found myself leading a lot of camp and retreat ministry mm -hmm. um, for the United Methodist Church in West Tennessee. And um, in the course of teaching um, elementary campers about gifts and talents mm -hmm. given by God, I was at our camp and retreat center, it's called Lakeshore in Eva, Tennessee. And sitting um, in the Vesper ring one morning, preparing for the day's teaching, and just felt a conviction that mm. I needed to go home or I needed to say yes to what was an undefined call on my life. I could not teach these children about saying, here am I. Wow, um, yeah. If I was not willing mm -hmm. to say yes myself. And that was the beginning of um, a, a time of uh, discernment mm -hmm. that led me to seminary at Candler School of Theology and ultimately some years in parish ministry mm -hmm. before being appointed um, by the bishop to serve as executive director of Hannah's Hope. Yeah, wow. Um, as we look back, oftentimes, at least in my experience, it's easier to see God's hand at work in retrospect as opposed to when you're right in the middle Amen, of it sister. and living it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're here to talk about your ministry. And of course, it is a ministry with Hannah's Hope. Um, it was founded by the Memphis Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. And I believe that your footprint is the same 21 counties as the footprint of the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. That's exactly true. We serve between the Tennessee River and the Mississippi River, mm -hmm. all of the counties of West Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as you think back, obviously you weren't with the organization when it was founded in 2003, but what do you think was the impetus for the Methodist Church to say, we really want to provide these sorts of services, both to adoptive or for adoptive parents and for pregnant women in crisis. Well, these services had been provided by another United Methodist organization that was headquartered in East Tennessee, 
And that organization decided to essentially shrink its reach and focus solely within the region of East Tennessee Mm -hmm. and the United Methodist, who had been strong supporters and members of their advocacy board, did not want to lose ministry with adoptive parents, Mm -hmm. um, primarily was the focus at that time, um, and so began doing the work to um, establish a new 501c3 and um, get a license as a child placing agency. All of that had been completed and the first baby had been placed with an adoptive family about two weeks before I began my work um, at at Hannah's Hope. So Hannah's Hope, when I began, um, didn't really know who we were. Mm -hmm. We were finding our way, trying to um, determine our calling Mm -hmm. and our unique identity. And it took a couple of years for um, the epiphany to um, come that really there is no need for an adoption without a mother in crisis. Mm, mm -hmm. I am adopted and have a unique perspective into the adoption triad. And um, I I think just needed some nudging from the Holy Spirit to understand that um, we needed to really focus our the heart of our ministry on pregnant women in crisis. And Mm. for those women that needed to make an adoption plan for their child, we of course wanted to have the most amazing adoptive families that were prepared to parent for a lifetime. So that part of the ministry was still critical and important, um, educating, preparing, and then supporting them through their parenting journey. But once we all said yes to the calling to serve pregnant women in crisis mm-hmm. that every pregnant woman who called us was an opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Christ with them um, and that encouraging them on their journey and helping them discern and mm-hmm. uh, make a responsible plan for their baby was every bit as valuable um, to the women who parented if not more valuable to them as for the women who needed to make adoption plans. Yeah. Wow, you know, um, is thinking, hearing you talk about, you know, pregnant women in crisis, it reminds me that Jesus' own birth was complicated. And Mary was not just a pregnant woman, she was a pregnant girl. Yes. A young teenager, she was engaged but at that time, to suddenly say to her fiance, uh, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And by the way, it isn't even by a man. It's by the Holy Spirit. I imagine that Mary, the mother of our Savior, probably had some of the same complicated sets of emotions that some of the women have that you work with today. I have to believe so. And every year as we... Um, take the Advent journey and revisit those scriptures. Um, I am connected with Mary in new ways um, Mm -hmm. through the eyes and the stories of the women we're serving in that particular year. And 
the the vulnerability mm-hmm. of um, finding yourself pregnant that a pregnancy you haven't planned right that you don't feel confident that you are prepared for whether that's financially or emotionally or just your physical station in life or your physical health and not knowing how that's going to unfold Mm. is um, sometimes can be a paralyzing fear yeah yeah Mm. So, you know, I know sometimes people ask me, well, what's a typical day look like at the diocese? And so I have to laugh. I don't know that there are many typical days, but if I were to ask you, Trina, um, what is a sort of a, a typical day or the sorts of things that you're engaged with on a daily basis, what sorts of things come across your desk? Well, the the phone can ring or the email can chime because someone has reached out to us through our website to mm-hmm. request services. And whatever we had on our agenda um, that day gets set aside when we need to go and meet with a woman who is um, without a place to stay mm-hmm. and it's cold. Um, sometimes we're um, scooping her up and then going to a partner organization to get mm-hmm. appropriate warm clothing that fits and covers her belly or shoes, whatever's needed. Sometimes um, a meal mm-hmm. is the first priority. Um, sometimes we get phone calls um, that women need you know they're they're reaching out for services and they think that they want to talk only about adoption but as we began to explore with them and those conversations are really not usually a formal counseling appointment like you or i might think of making where we'd call and and get on the right you know the book and show up for our one hour session in the office of our Mm -hmm. therapist um these women uh, you know they they're scattered all over west tennessee our office is in bartlett mm-hmm. it is very rare i mean maybe as rare as once a year that we have a woman that actually comes to our office and meets with a staff person we typically go to them mm-hmm. in their neighborhood or um, use telehealth if they have access mm-hmm. um you know to do a, a video session um, but it is also very often that a lot of counseling takes place via text Wow. Okay. And that can be a day or two. And finally, the the layers began to unfold and we get to the, you know, the heart of Mm -hmm. what that moment's crisis is and whether that's accessing medical care or being afraid of potential violence Mm -hmm. from their um, partner, Uh, different, um, you know, different concerns, of course, from day to day. But we and some days we are in court advocating for children that for whom we're their legal guardian Mm -hmm. or I'm spending days in the NICU with Mm. babies who um, are in our care but it's before we've been able to identify adoptive parents for a number of reasons and so I am their person and their Mm. advocate and their guardian until so every day is um, is a roller coaster wow so it sounds almost like you are a resource for these women with whatever it is they need in that moment. And that, if you, if that you is can't our number one it, hope and goal. Yes, you know how to get them to somebody who can. Yes, we do a lot of connecting with community right. partners. And then the other side of that is the issue of um, folk who may be uh, suffering from infertility 
or for a variety of reasons unable to physically have their own children who really want to raise a child. And they can come to Hannah's Hope for assistance if they want to adopt. They absolutely can. Um, the state of Tennessee, every state in, in the United States actually requires some form of a home study uh-huh. um, to assess the stability of the home, whether people are um, physically capable, mentally stable, financially stable, can provide the security mm-hmm. that, um, in according to the, the laws of that state, Um, Hannah's Hope also has an equal emphasis on um, education to prepare adoptive parents for the unique role Mm -hmm. of of parenting a child through adoption. So I tend to tell them that parents, all of us are, you know, we we develop like a a radar that we kind of screen. Your child comes in the door and whatever they're downloading and you're trying to figure out, (laughs) you know, are are they just not feeling well today? Did something stress them out? And so we want them to have an additional filter mm-hmm. if they are parenting an, a child through adoption so that they um, can can kind of suss out is, you know, is there something going on related to that? Are they wondering about their birth parents? Did somebody say something to them mm. so that they are prepared to um, to parent through mm-hmm. the journey? Um, you know, it is a lifelong journey. Yeah. Those babies grow up quickly. And so what is the nature of the relationship between the birth mother and the adoptive parents? Well, at Hannah's Hope, we are very committed to empowering women to make an adoption plan. And when I say that, I mean, if they are choosing adoption, we want them to know that they have choices all the way through that that process. Mm -hmm. We want them to choose the adoptive parents. We want them to meet the adoptive mm-hmm. parents. We will support them through that very awkward, you know, first date type yeah, thing, yeah. and um, and walk with them on that journey. We believe and understand that open adoption is the healthiest way uh, that adoption um, can happen for all parties involved, and we will support that journey. Um, we will also support people. Um, whether it's adoptive families or children who are grieving because their birth parent has not been able to maintain Mm. that connection. And even if a birth parent desperately wanted that type of an open relationship, sometimes the circumstances of their life, um, you know, don't, don't Mm. allow for that. It, um, those kind of relationships become a luxury if you're living in survival mode. Right. And so we we will support um, families all the way through their parenting journey um, and in their open relationships. Mm. So since you've been engaged in this work for almost 20 years now, I wonder, um, are there different issues? Are we in, you know, an era with, new challenges and opportunities how have you seen the landscape change i think one of the most unique challenges that we are facing right now in our particular area is the continued um, fallout from the change to tennessee state law which 
outlawed abortion mm-hmm. beginning in August of 2022. And we are now um, receiving calls from women much earlier in their pregnancy. They are um, approaching us not because adoption is their their first question, a lot of times they're processing anger over just realizing that a choice has been taken away from them Mm -hmm. and they don't know what to do. And while they may have talked to a a very effective community partner that would um, assist them in finding abortion services and and getting there and, and doing that, if that's what their choice is, they're there are so many factors that make that impossible mm-hmm. for women. The challenge of travel, the being able to take time off work, mm. uh, find childcare for other children, those type of things. Um, pressure from the uh, biological father. Maybe he's not her romantic partner anymore, mm-hmm. but he is the father of the child. And, and he doesn't understand that abortions are not uh available in Tennessee Mm, mm -hmm. anymore and so he's threatening and pressuring Mm. and 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 so she's struggling with that kind of um Mm. you know stress in this time and so we we need to help them to quickly process through that and then move on to um figuring out how to take care of themselves and this baby in the short term meaning get get set up with an OB mm-hmm. and start those prenatal vitamins and trying to make healthy choices while they make big decisions about, right. um, you know, their future as a mother mm. to that child and whether that be a parenting plan. And, and the truth is um, most women who considered abortion um, over the decades have always parented. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that is not that has not changed because of this law. Adoption numbers are not rising, mm. um, you know, at, at an excessive rate right. a, as a result of this. Um, but women are finding themselves um, in a position where they're parenting and they weren't necessarily prepared. So the struggle is to help them mm. um, get ready. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I would imagine that in this work, there would be lots of opportunities that either individuals or faith-based communities could partner with Hannah's Hope. So if we've got some folks listening who may be saying, I'd really like to figure out a way that I can be supportive, what are some of the ways that people can get involved? Well. We, we have not mentioned this, but there is never any charge to any pregnant mm. woman that we serve. Mm-hmm. And that is the bulk of what we do. So we cannot do that without the financial support mm-hmm. of our individual partners and partnering congregations, mm-hmm. small groups, um, Sunday school classes, mm-hmm. um, that, that type thing. Um, financial donations can be made through our website and I know that um, the diocese office will will put that link um, with this yes, podcast. But I think it's Hannah's dash hope.org. That's right. Um, you can check out our website and learn a little more about the services that we provide. Um, but we also have churches. I, I just learned last night that the children's ministry at a local congregation um, filled baby bottles for to support Hannah's Hope and raised over two thousand oh, dollars during wow. 
September and October. Um, I was blown away. Um, that's a, a fun way for a congregation to engage for children to learn um, how to help other mommies that need oh. um, help with their babies. That's amazing. So um, in your materials, you do have a sense of what um, some of these con financial contributions can, can actually do in real terms. So $100 will cover a birth mother's bag of feminine hygiene supplies after birth. $250 can supply one weekend of emergency housing for a pregnant mother. $500 can provide one hour of counseling for five pregnant women in crises. $1,000 one day of services to a pregnant woman in crisis and their children. And $5,000 one week of services for pregnant women in West Tennessee. That's, that's right. And we are grateful every day that yeah. we have generous supporters mm -hmm. throughout West Tennessee, people who believe in the mission, who want to support women, mm -hmm. who find themselves in crisis pregnancy situations. They want to support the vulnerable children mm -hmm. that are a part of those families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in every case, it is in the back of my mind that what we want to do is build a healthy family. Yeah. We want to prevent children from ending up in foster care mm -hmm. we so we want women able to parent in a stable fashion or we want to provide the um, loving option of adoption yeah so it could be that as the holiday season is approaching um and sometimes i have folks that i care about and you know they have everything that they need right it's not like they need another present or another item it could be that a donation could be made um, in honor of someone, or as we talked about at the beginning of the show, All Saints, in memory of someone. Absolutely. And there is um, a, a place on the online form as you're making your donation where you can put the information and proper acknowledgments, whether that's a holiday card or a, mm -hmm. a sympathy card for a memorial, mm -hmm. um, will be sent. And um, we will definitely help you celebrate uh, milestones and remember um, precious loved ones. Awesome. So I would imagine that, you know, you have days in this work where um, there are lots of things to celebrate and then days when you're really helping women without a whole lot of resources and options. And I wonder, Trina, um, what gives you a sense of hope as you engage in this very important work for some of the most vulnerable members of the community in West Tennessee? I feel like when the darkness approaches, because when you are fighting battles as the advocate for either uh, a vulnerable pregnant woman or a vulnerable child, mm -hmm. um, and, and I do find myself in that role, whether in the, the court system or in, in a medical institution or in different, different ways, and it feels like, um, you know, this this vulnerable child or this vulnerable woman is, is really just being cast aside and mm. I began to feel defeated. It, it always, um, I, you know, the Holy Spirit is, 
is pretty remarkable in the way that um, we get our nudges. And I um, can't tell you how many times that I'll get a text and it'll be from one of our adoptive families mm. and they show me a, a picture of mm. a child that we've walked that journey with and I can see that they are thriving and they just come in at the right moment. Yeah. Um, or we'll get a call from a woman that we worked with um, in the midst of a, a really difficult moment. In fact, we don't meet any pregnant women whose lives are going well. So mm, um, that's a good point to get a call from them and hear uh, a joy that they mm-hmm. Um, you know, have a new job or that they got uh, an apartment for, you know, so that they can live with their children on their own. Those kind of things, when we hear those, uh, um, it, it fuels, I think, mm. um, my spirit to to keep fighting the good fight yeah. um, and, and know that there is purpose and that, that God really is using us mm-hmm. um, even when we can't see it. Uh, amidst the <laughs> got it and i would imagine just because of the confidential nature of these sorts of things that there aren't a lot of opportunities for individuals to come in and volunteer at hannah's hope that it's really more of the financial support and even the community awareness that people can do that would be most beneficial that is exactly right mm-hmm. um community members um, being advocates for adoption, for um, just sharing the, the, the word when mm-hmm. you are um, sitting at, at lunch with a coworker and they mention a family member that's in a stressful pregnancy situation mm-hmm. and you sharing that you've learned about a resource and it's called Hannah's Hope and you know please tell them to reach out to Hannah's Hope. Um, those those kind of um, conversations that ripple through communities mm-hmm. um, impact lives. And so you learning about a resource like Hannah's Hope can, in effect, change someone else's life. Yeah, because I think most of us, if not all of us, know a family member or a friend who is suffering with infertility and desperately wants to be able to parent a child. And so to know about this resource where um, there's a a whole team of folks that will walk with them. And I would imagine that, again, the the relationship doesn't end as soon as the child is given to them, right? Oh, it does not. (laughs) It absolutely um, does not. I, um, last night, was um, dropping off my daughter at the dance studio for her class and turned around and in the lobby um, was wrapped in a hug from one of our um, Hannah's Hope moms who was dropping off one of her kiddos that um, came into their family through Hannah's Hope and um so we we get to you know share the ordinary of life Mm -hmm. when we cross paths in the community i have people calling me now our old you know of course i've i'm in my 18th year Mm. so um the first child that i um was involved with their adoption placement um just turned 18 in october and so, you know, hearing stories about, you know, now we have kids that are making high school plans and um, seeing um, photos of kids FaceTiming with their birth parents mm. and, and sharing things. Um, I 
had a text the other night and there's a birth mom that's going to come through town in a couple of weeks and and visit with her adoptive family mm-hmm. and um that those are the stories that um just bring joy and it's why we do what we do and that being said i also recently had coffee with a 13 year old um hannah's hope kiddo who had some questions about her story Mm -hmm. and those are delightful moments to get to um, engage with these kiddos as they're growing up and being adopted myself being able to um, connect with them share a little bit and help them to to just feel that all of these things that you're curious about are are perfectly normal because when you're 13 you want to be normal (laughs) normal yeah well thank you so much for this very important ministry and again um if any in the listening audience want to learn more you can go to their website which is hannahs-hope.org and there are lots of um, resources on the website and ways for you to find out how you can support this important ministry. So thanks so much, Trina, for this conversation. Thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity. Do you want to help bring Raised by Soundfest to life? Join us on December 2nd to make music, memories, and a difference. Sign up to volunteer for Raised by Soundfest today and help us make it happen. More info at volunteer.wyxr.org. Welcome back to Faithfully Memphis, and we want to thank you for joining us this morning. Just a reminder that you can hear this show Anywhere you get your regular podcasts, including Apple Music and Spotify. So we encourage you not only to listen, but also to subscribe, to like, and to leave comments and feedback about things that you might like to see us cover. 
So occasionally we do have community events that we can share with you. And um, there are a couple actually that I would like to share. And one of them is taking place tomorrow evening. So on Friday, November the 3rd, uh, the Diocese of West Tennessee's College Ministry, located on the campus of the University of Memphis at Barth House, which is at 409 Patterson Street, they are having um, a fall lecture by the Reverend Dr. Robert McSwain. He is the Associate Professor of Theology at Sewanee, the University of the South, and he's going to be here uh, to discuss a forthcoming book that will be released early in 2024 about saints as evidence of God. So again, this is sort of tying into the theme of All Saints, and that lecture begins at 6.30 p.m., tomorrow, November the 3rd, at Barth House, located um, at 409 Patterson Street, and it is free and open to the public. And the second event that I would like to bring to your attention is that if you are considering um, gifts for the holiday season, and in addition to going to the malls, you might be interested in something that's handcrafted, made by a local vendor. We will have the third annual Advent Arts Market, again, at Barth House, 409 Patterson, on Saturday, um, December the 9th, I believe. And um, that will be a place where you can actually buy presents, gifts, there'll be music, uh, food trucks, just a wonderful opportunity for fellowship and um, supporting local artisans, in particular student artists. Uh, and so if you go to our website, which is ed wtn.org there's lots of information about what that day will entail again that is free and open to the public again saturday december the 9th starts at 9 a.m ends at 2 30 uh, p.m with locally made art and gifts live performances family friendly crafts and food trucks so until next Thursday, friends, stay safe and stay positive.